Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Seven things you don't really need to know, but probably should. I'm Kira Revan, and this, this is the Sunday 7. On this week's Signal Award-winning Sunday 7, we mark World AIDS Day, catch up on the key issues of this week's COP28 Climate Summit, find out more about Virgin Atlantic's vegetable oil transatlantic flight, and wave goodbye to Edinburgh's giant pandas. But first, on this day in 1967, Dr. Christian Bernard and a team of 20 surgeons performed the world's first human heart transplant in Cape Town, South Africa. The patient was a 54-year-old South African businessman who received a donated heart from a 25-year-old woman who had died in a car crash. The patient lived for only 18 days before his immune system rejected the heart, but the next patient lived for almost two years, and thousands of transplants have been successfully performed since. The COP28 Climate Summit officially opened in Dubai on Thursday. It's set to run for two weeks and there's huge pressure on delegates to produce tangible results as the World Meteorological Organization published its climate report, which warns that 2023 will be the hottest year on record. It's described a trail of devastation and despair as extreme weather affected populations across the globe. There was some good news as Day One saw a loss and damage fund agreed to help poorer countries cope with the crisis. The United Arab Emirates made the first donation as host, committing $100 million. But the message remained grim as UN Climate Change Executive Secretary Simon Steele made his opening address. If we do not signal the terminal decline of the fossil fuel era as we know it, we welcome our own terminal decline. And we choose to pay with people's lives. Science tells us we have around six years before we exhaust the planet's ability to cope with our emissions, before we blow through 1.5 degree limits. It's simply not enough for us to be trying to try. The COP28 president is Sultan Ahmed Aljabar and he says his focus has been to work proactively with fossil fuel companies to get agreement on significant changes. We had many hard discussions. Let me tell you, that wasn't easy. But today, many of these companies are committing to zero methane emissions by 2030 for the first time. And now, many national oil companies have adopted net zero 2050 targets for the first time. And I'm grateful that they have stepped up to join this game-changing journey. More than 160 heads of state were in Dubai for the opening of the summit and King Charles addressed attendees on Friday. The battle over the next week will be to get agreement to restrict global warming to 1.5 degrees, something that's increasingly difficult to see as temperatures are already 1.2 degrees above pre-industrial levels. That'll be some hard bargaining and the spotlight may fall on the UK's decision to slow the approach to the 2050 net zero target. But Prime Minister Rishi Sunak was prepared to defend his decision to slow things down. We are a world leader when it comes to climate. That's what the stats show. We've reduced carbon emissions in this country faster than any other major economy. Our targets for the next few years are also more ambitious than any other major economy. And because of that, I thought the right thing to do was to ensure that we get to net zero 
in a pragmatic and proportionate way that saves working families thousands of pounds. I'm not in hock to ideological zealots on this topic. Of course we're going to get to net zero, of course it's important, but we can do that in a sensible way that saves people money and doesn't burden them with extra costs, and that's the approach that we've taken. Friday marked World AIDS Day and the UN AIDS Organization marked the occasion by calling for a grassroots effort across the world to end AIDS as a public health threat by 2030. David Furnish is co-chair of the Elton John AIDS Foundation and he says it is definitely possible to achieve. We're very, very hopeful. Um, The key is finding undetected cases of HIV in England and finding people that have lapsed from treatment. And we piloted a scheme in South London where we proved that with a bit of investment we can save the NHS millions of pounds by doing opt-out blood testing in emergency wards and finding people who have HIV and don't know it. So the program was expanded to 33 sites in Britain and last night we got the great news from uh, Victoria Aitken, uh, the health secretary, that we were going to be expanding to 79 sites in the prevalence and high prevalence parts of the country. And if we find this undetected HIV, we can get those people on treatment because the news surrounding treatment is so great. Once we have people on treatment, their viral load goes right down to an undetectable level where they don't pass the virus on to someone else. We just have to break through these walls of fear and stigma and find this undetected HIV. Health Secretary Victoria Atkins confirmed that the government is committed to expanding what it calls opt-out testing in emergency departments in a bid to discover previously undiagnosed cases and provide treatment. What this means is, is that somebody coming into an emergency department will be asked whether they would like to be tested for HIV. And we know from areas that already do this that it has an enormous success rate in helping reach people who have HIV and don't realise it uh, and give them the treatment and support they need. And I've met today here in Birmingham, Queen Elizabeth Hospital, some amazing nurses and doctors who have devoted their lives to helping people with HIV. And they have really welcomed this news, this announcement because they know that this will reach many more people than we are able to reach today. Still to come on the Sunday 7, Elon goes off the rails and there's a new mystery virus in town. It's hard to believe, but here we go again with another example of the world's richest man doing something really stupid. This was Elon Musk on stage on Wednesday at a New York Times Deal Book Summit, speaking about advertisers who've been boycotting Twitter because of his own anti-Semitic posts the previous week. If somebody's going to try to blackmail me with advertising, blackmail me with money, go f*** yourself. But go f*** yourself. Is that clear? I hope it is. Hey, Bob. If you're in the audience. So let's check in with the Smart 7's tech guru, Will Guyot. Will, has Elon finally done it this time? Well, I've been thinking for hours how best to sum this up without getting sued. The best I can come up with, this looked like the time I stayed up and watched all of the Lord of the Rings films back to back and mixed Red Bull and those Pro Plus caffeine tablets to stay sharp. Musk's behaviour was even more unusual than normal. He said the only reason he was doing this interview was for his friend Jonathan, who then reminded Elon that his name was in fact Andrew. Let's admit it, we've all been there at one time or another. How serious could this boycott be for X? Is there a danger it actually does collapse? 
Well, there was already a fairly large ad boycott in place following some comments that people suggested were anti-Semitic by Elon Musk. But going into a room, looking straight down the camera lens and talking to a room of shocked onlookers, repeating the phrase GFY means you're probably not going to do much to encourage these serious businesses that the adults are in charge of X. And importantly, I actually think there's now a bigger danger to Musk's position at Tesla and SpaceX. So far, those companies haven't got much of the stink of Twitter or X on them, and they're very keen to avoid that. Musk is still the world's richest person, depending on what day of the week we're looking at the numbers, so he's got plenty of money to run X like his own personal train set if he really wants to. But it's what happens when Musk loses interest. Is anybody going to buy it? Would anyone swoop in to rescue it, or will Elon be the last owner? Well, when Musk was first toying with the idea of buying Twitter or X or whatever on earth we call it these days, I figured someone like Microsoft or Amazon would make a bid for it too. But a year or so on, Musk has done lots to damage it. He's binned the Twitter brand after 15 years. We've got a rise of hate. And it seems that only hardened Musk fans and Nigel Farage think that the platform has improved under his ownership. There's an interesting story about Google and news organisations in Canada. What's going on? Well, Canada and Google have just agreed a deal which means that news links remain searchable on the search engine. And this is going to cost Google around 75 million US dollars a year for the privilege. This comes as Canada's Online News Act is one of the first in the world to look for ways for internet giants to pay for news. The reality is the whole online ad system doesn't allow news sites to pay their way. And this industry, journalism, is really struggling because online operations are no longer propped up by profitable print products or anything like that. Now this new deal means that this cash from Google will be distributed amongst Canadian news organisations with a view of keeping journalists in jobs. They did a similar deal in Australia, is that right? Is that kind of deal something that could happen in the UK? Well, this deal in Australia was similar, but frustratingly, many critics say most of the money went to organisations like the billionaire Rupert Murdoch's media empire, rather than the sort of local grassroots reporters that could really have benefited from this kind of support. Eventually, around the world, no matter where we are, people are going to have to start paying for their content, be that through more ads or actually subscribing and paying like you used to do back in the days you bought a newspaper. You'd think we'd had enough of pandemics and mystery viruses, but apart from the COVID inquiry, this wasn't a great week for those hoping for a mask-free life in future. Firstly, the UK's Health and Security Agency reported this week that a person in the UK had contracted swine flu, also known as the H1N2 virus. About 50 people worldwide have contracted the virus since 2005, but it's not clear how the person in the UK contracted it. It appears they suffered a mild infection and have since recovered. GP Helen Wall told BBC breakfast that we wouldn't be panicking about swine flu just yet. All flu is potentially serious so we can't say you know swine flu is more serious, less serious. We don't know what this new variant is. It's not been detected in humans in the UK before. It's circulating in pigs. We know that. There's been 50 other such variants that circulate in pigs since 2005 detected in the UK. This is just the next one. There's lots of investigations now. We'll be going on to find out exactly is it more transmissible, is it more serious. We don't know. But essentially, the symptoms we think are pretty much the same. This person who was detected, it was a spot test. It was pure fluke that it was picked up through the surveillance that's done to look at the different variants going around the UK. And, you know, this person was had a mild illness and recovered well. NHS doctor Dr Amika says that while the early signs are not too alarming, there is a need to keep a close eye on the risk of the virus spreading. Honestly, I'm not concerned too much 
at present. I mean, it is the first case of this strain of swine flu we're seeing. I think the main concern is obviously back in 2009, what happened with what we knew as swine flu becoming a pandemic. Any kind of virus we've seen after COVID, I think people do kind of jump the gun a bit and panic and have concern. I think the main thing now is just to monitor the individual contact tracing to see if anyone else in North Yorkshire has that strain of virus as well, and then just keep an eye on it. This individual who we've tested positive for this uh, virus didn't actually have any contact with pigs, which is unusual. So they're thinking this could have been possibly human to human transmission with another individual maybe being asymptomatic. In China, there's a more alarming story as hospitals in Beijing have been struggling with an uptick in cases of respiratory viruses. It's mainly been affecting children and the main culprit has been diagnosed as mycoplasma pneumonia, also known as white lung, according to Chinese authorities. Dr. Zhuo Feng Zhang is chair of epidemiology department at UCLA and he says we're not pandemic levels of concern as yet. I think that the, the pandemic 2.0 is not there yet. In the United States, we also have the flu, we also have ISV, we also have COVID-19. The vaccination is the key. So to come on the Sunday 7, NASA has its eyes on Mars and the Chinese take away our pandas. Right after this. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Welcome back. NASA is planning for its first manned flight to Mars, which it hopes will take place as early as the 2030s. As part of the process, the Artemis project will see manned missions to land on the moon resume, and there are also NASA astronauts and scientists living in isolation in a Mars-like environment in Houston, which is due to last for 378 days. At the same time, NASA's Odyssey probe is circling the red planet at a similar orbit to the International Space Station above Earth. Laura Kerber is NASA's deputy project scientist on the Mars Odyssey, and she describes how the space agency are capturing detailed mapping and pictures of Mars. Next year, we're going to hit 100,000 orbits around Mars. We also have several ongoing science campaigns. One is a rock mapping campaign that will help us land future missions more safely on the surface. We're also taking advantage of our special dawn-dusk orbit to map clouds, fog, and frost that only exist at certain times of day. And we are also planning our next maneuver to look out at the clouds on the horizon again. Air travel has long been flagged as one of the most visible and high-profile carbon polluters, but this week there was a small step towards demonstrating that there may be new options to reduce the airline industry's carbon footprint. Virgin Atlantic flew from London to New York using what they call 100% sustainable aviation fuel that's made from used vegetable oil, waste animal fat and synthetic kerosene. The flight needed a special permission to use the fuel mix for the transatlantic flight, which had no passengers except for Virgin CEO Richard Branson. Climate campaigners say it's just a form of greenwashing Virgin Atlantic CEO Shai Weiss says it will take more research to solve the bigger problems with flying. I don't think there is an innovation over the next 
20, 30, potentially 40 years that will replace jet fuel as the source of energy. So if you want to make aviation less harming to the environment, you have to find a renewable source for fuel. You know, people say, is this greenwashing? Are you trying to get us to fly more? Is this a way of letting our conscience feel better about flying? The point is not that. I can tell you that flying is a big part of life as we know it. Business, connectivity between families, exploring the world, science, are, and especially in an island nation, rely on aviation. The only way to do that and if you want to take it seriously, is to find an alternative source. Transport Secretary Mark Harper says the UK government is determined to find better and more environmentally friendly ways for people to fly. We are also involved with supporting the industry to develop hydrogen and also electric flights for shorter haul flights. So all of that technology is being developed. But this is a really big step forward and it's because we want to make sure, this government wants to make sure, that ordinary people can continue flying cost effectively and get around the world. We saw how much people wanted to do that. Flying bounced back really quickly post-pandemic and we want to make sure people can continue to do so but in a way that protects the environment. There's bad news for Panda fans in Scotland as Yang Guang and Tian Tian are about to head back to China. The pair of giant pandas had been on loan to Edinburgh Zoo as part of a breeding programme, but they failed to produce any offspring and now they're being shipped back to China. It's also part of a wider trend that has seen China withdraw its pandas from the US and potentially Australia next year. The giant pandas were seen as part of China's soft diplomacy, but it may well be that there's a recall for the giant bears as a sign of a shift in China's relationship with the West. Keeper Michael Livingston says people are really going to miss the pair. I feel like this day has always been in the future coming, but now it's it's getting closer and closer, and now it's finally here. I think I think pandas. You know, everyone knows about pandas. Pandas are in storybooks when you're when you're a kid. They're cuddly toys. Um, they're such an iconic species for conservation. They they just get into the hearts of people. They've been so popular with the visitors here. Um, people come from all over the place, all over the world to come and see them. This has been the Sunday 7. Wherever you're listening, do us a favour and hit the follow button. We'll be back tomorrow at 7am with the regular Smart 7. Have a great rest of your weekend. Written, produced and published by Daft Doris.